Welcome to Medical Murmurs, Medical Student Edition, where emergency physician Dr. Paris Lovett talks with other doctors about their specialty, and we focus on career questions such as what their professional life is like and how best to get into a specialty and develop a career. If you haven't already, we suggest that you first listen to the main Medical Murmurs podcast, featuring the same guest, before you listen to this one. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Judy Chertok, an assistant professor of family medicine and community health at the University of Pennsylvania. She's also assistant program director for the residency in family medicine. And in addition to general family medicine, she treats patients with opioid use disorder. So are you able to walk us through a clinical day? Yes. Start right at the beginning. You know, sure. you wake up and... Sure. So... I guess I might back up a little bit and say that one of the fun things about my job now is that every day is a little bit different. And so that not only do I love the variety that family medicine gives me throughout the day, but being a now and an academic site, I love the variety that that gives me and that each day is a little bit different in terms of what I do and the types of things that I do. But I will take you through a maybe parts of a typical week (laughs) that might be more illustrative. Um, So... Typically, um, on um, Mondays, just to start, um, I usually work um, seeing patients starting in the afternoon through the evening session. So I usually have two sessions of seeing kind of my own continuity patients. Um, One thing I'll mention is I do have two children who are in grade school. And so one of the nice things about having an evening session is that I have a morning at home. So Mondays are nice. I get to spend more time with my kids. They take the bus to school. We have a relaxing morning and I can kind of start my week in that way. They can start their week in that way. Um, So then I usually have a couple hours in the morning to catch up on work and catch up on emails and any projects I'm working on before the busyness of the clinical week starts. Um, So that's always sort of a nice way to get started. And then I basically see my continuity patients from 1245 till 830 at night. So I have a long stretch of seeing patients. Um, And in family medicine, my patients are newborn through geriatrics. And so each and every day is its own variety of things that I see. Um, But I'm generally spent our sessions um, have about 20 minute slots for patients. So it's pretty busy. And I'm really running from room to room kind of seeing my continuity patients for that long stretch of time. And there's not much downtime. Not much downtime. Occasionally, I'll have a visit that's maybe a little quicker. Or I'll have someone who doesn't come and I'll maybe catch a couple minutes in between patients and catch up on notes or phone calls. But generally, it's pretty busy. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm running from room to room. Walk me through what it's like when someone comes in. I mean, what's the kind of, uh, you know, for someone who's not in medicine, who wants to understand everyone has seen a primary doctor at some point, but take it through from your perspective what it's like when someone comes in. Um, uh someone you've seen for a long time and they come in for, let's say, uh, just a regular follow-up. They've got a couple of chronic problems. Yeah. So I work in an interesting setting. Um, I work at a in an academic setting, a primary care office, um, and we are a very, very large pa- practice. We have almost 28,000 patients in our practice. We're the largest practice at Penn. Um, and so it is a big place. And I think that is one of the fun things about being in such a big place. But one of the challenges, I think, for a patient is you walk in, it is a big waiting room and a lot of check-in desks. So my patient, from their perspective, would kind of go to the front desk, check in, um, wait in a very large waiting room, and then get 
ultimately called back by my assistant. Um, I do tend to work with the same medical assistant most of the week. And so what's really nice is my patients also not only have continuity with me, but with my medical assistant. So she'll bring the patient back and ask them why they're there. If they have any concerns, she'll ask them if they want a flu shot and if they're caught up with their mammogram and any other kind of um, um, what we might call health maintenance needs or just routine care needs. Um, and then she'll check their vital signs, which is blood pressure and heart rate and weight, and then kind of have them in the room waiting for me. Um, and then when I go in, I confirm with them why they're there. We set an agenda for the visit. We discuss, we kind of make a list of the things they'd like to address that day, and then we kind of tackle them one by one. So what's the typical way you like to ask those questions? The in terms of setting the stage for the visit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mostly, again, because at this point, I have established continuity with most of my patients. A lot of it is like, hello, it's so good to see you. Happy New Year. Happy Holidays. A lot of times we know each other. So how is your sister? Wasn't she sick last year? Or tell me about that new job. So there's a lot of nice catching up, and it goes both ways. I think a lot of my patients are like, how are the boys? How are your kids? How, how are they doing in school? You know, there's a lot of just nice kind of back and forth. And I think that's how most of my visits start. Um, and then we sort of shift gears into, okay, well, what are you here for today? And what are the things you'd like to address? And I do really like to kind of start the visit, making sure that we have essentially a list of all the important things that they'd like to address that visit. Primary care, um, patients can come in with many different things to address that are sometimes related and sometimes not. And I want to make sure that my patient is getting what they want to out of the visit. I also want to make sure that I am um, appropriately allocating time to the different things that they want to address. I can kind of look at the list and realize some things can be relatively quick and some things are really going to take time. And so I'm trying to manage the time that we have allotted in the visit to make sure that we can address all the things that need to be covered. You are listening to Medical Murmurs, Medical Student Edition. How do you find a lot of doctors now are saying that they feel the EHR is getting between them and the patient? What's your feeling about it? I think the EHR is a blessing and a curse. There are so many wonderful parts to it. I think the amount of information I have at my fingertips for patients, um, you know, I mentioned that I worked previously in New York and where I was working there, my patients were often going to specialty care or to hospital systems that I had no access to. So it was a black box. My patient would see a cardiologist and I would have no idea what happened there. And now essentially when most of my patients are in within my system or even anywhere in the city, I can see their records. It's an amazing tool. And I think we sometimes lose sight of that because of all the new irritations that it can cause as well. Um, so I value it. I value what I can get out of it. I love the information at my fingertips and how quickly I can get it, how I can, in my med medical record, type in like .a1c and get their most recent diabetes lab test. I mean, there are things that are really amazing about it. Um, but the burden of documentation, particularly in primary care, is onerous and the, my least favorite part of my job. <laughs> For the non-doctors out there, talk about why that is. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, every time we see a patient or interact with a patient by phone, um, we have to document what we discussed and what happened. And there are certain kind of rules and regulations around that. 
And as I mentioned, when I'm seeing many patients in a row without a lot of time in between, I don't often have time to essentially complete the note before I see the next patient. And so as in a day like yesterday, if I'm seeing maybe 22 patients or more, at the end of that, those notes all need to get completed. And that is burdensome. So in your uh, in your specialty, what do you think are the highs and the lows for you? Like what's great about your specialty for you? And what is it that you know, is a little bit of a bummer? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I've mentioned the relationships and the continuity of care. Um, and I will say that again, but those are the highs. The, I mean, the kind of amazing privilege of being a part of someone's life um, and having those relationships with just people from all walks of life. So to me, that's that's the high um, and the impact that you can make from that continuity relationship. Um, the lows, I think, we kind of briefly talked about the EMR and other burdens, but I think primary care physicians in our system bear the brunt of the burden of a lot of medical care um, and and sort of all the, um, I think a lot falls to primary care if a patient needs a walker or a wheelchair or home care um, or a refill of a medicine that a specialist has provided. Um, really anything, we we get that in primary care. And and I we love being able to do what we can for our patients, but but it, it's difficult. It's difficult. There's a lot of, sometimes of paperwork involved, of phone calls, there's a lot of expectations that I hope we earn that our patients put on us to really be there for them and help them through things. But but it can be a lot of work. <laughs> Paperwork and computer work. Yes, unfortunately. Common answer. I guess I'm going to switch gears here a little bit and talk about um, the medical student angle here. Okay. And so first, in your specialty, who do you think is well-suited to family medicine and who perhaps is not? You know, not that I think in your work, you're going to necessarily see candidates and say, hey, you're not suited, mm-hmm. go away, because I don't think you really get away with that. Mm-hmm. But in thinking about it, like if you're chatting with someone who was more like family, you yeah. know, and they were trying to just really honestly think through what was best for them, what are the things that might make you think they do great in family medicine? Some other things that make you think like, yeah, take a look at some other specialties. Yeah. Um, I think we talked about this a little bit, but the sort of generalist versus specialist, I think in family medicine, you have to be comfortable with ambiguity. You have to be comfortable not necessarily knowing everything at that moment, being comfortable looking things up, being comfortable asking questions of colleagues, of specialist colleagues, of all kinds of people. Um, and I think you have to really thrive on the variety and and like that 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 um, unpredictability. So I do think there's a personality that goes into family medicine that um, I do encourage people to really think about um, and to just feel sit with those feelings and make sure that they feel right on you as a medical student if you're thinking about family medicine. Um, other than that, I think um, qualities of a great family doctor, I think, are interpersonal skills. I think at the end of the day, much of um, what we do does come down to interpersonal skills. If it's counseling about smoking cessation, diabetes management, even just getting an accurate history to diagnose some new undifferentiated complaint, interpersonal skills are incredibly important. So I think that's something to really think about in family medicine. Um, 
think people who um, don't do well in family medicine or who maybe should think about something else are people that don't like all the aspects. So you have to really you have to like kids, you have to like pregnant women and just kind of all the pieces to it. And not that your practice can't be tailored later, it absolutely can. But I think our training is very broad and has so many different elements to it. I think you have to be someone who's kind of interested in the in the spectrum and the scope of it. Um, and I think sometimes we've had residents who've come in who really dislike one aspect. And I think they go on and have wonderful careers and figure out a job that's going to be better for them. But I do wonder, might they have enjoyed their training better in a different specialty? What are some of the things that people, you often notice people shying away from because they, it's, it's a part of the, it's a part of the life in family medicine that they don't dig? I think we will occasionally have, and and I don't think this actually um, is a reason not to do family medicine, but it's interesting. Many family doctors in practice do purely outpatient medicine, but our training does have a significant component of inpatient medicine. And so I don't think this is a reason not to do family medicine, but we definitely will have residents who are like, I don't like being in the hospital, which I can relate to, even as someone who works in the hospital. Um, so I think that can sometimes be challenging for training, but it's probably not a reason not to do it. Um, but, but I do, and I do think there is no better specialty if you want purely outpatient medicine because of the variety, the joy of a well child check in the middle of your chronic disease management. I think as if you're doing outpatient medicine, family medicine is just the most exciting way to do it. Um, but um, the, the training can be difficult in terms of the inpatient components. What's something that people might be surprised to learn about what it's like to be a family doctor? realizes about, again, I think many people picture the family doctor doing the outpatient part of the work, which I've been highlighting, but I'm not sure everybody realizes the inpatient work that actually a lot of family doctors do outside of training. But I personally um, work at the hospital on our inpatient service. I do that about a month every year. Um, and I, I'm not sure that other that people necessarily picture family doctors as doing kind of significant hospital work, which is definitely a part of our scope of practice. Um, and the other thing is obstetrics. So um, we have a very active and busy obstetric group in our practice. I personally don't do deliveries, but as I mentioned, I do prenatal care for my continuity patients. Um, and I actually run a breastfeeding group at our office. So I see all the babies when they leave the hospital for that visit and then kind of pass them off to their primary doctor. So I think we do a lot in the OB newborn pediatric realm. And I'm not sure people realize kind of the, the scope of what we do. How come you don't deliver babies? You know, I almost did obstetrics. Um, of the ones, of the, all the specialties I was tempted by, that was the one I was most excited about and really just loved um, delivering babies. As a medical student, um, I really thought about it. I did a sub-I for the medical students in OB. And that was the thing that I thought about the most. Um, and as I did um, deliveries during residency and loved it, I realized I loved being the person right at the front and not the attending standing behind me who was ultimately responsible in making the decisions. Um, and for me, it was comes down to personality and comfort. I got very nervous about that moment of delivery and enjoyed I, – I didn't ultimately feel like personality-wise I liked – 
the heat of the moment, when things didn't go well, making those decisions, swooping in, kind of doing an operative delivery, sort of the things that you really need a doctor for. I didn't like any of that. I liked an uncomplicated vaginal delivery, just pure joy. Um, and, and to me, in the end, I realized just, just by the end of residency, I, was like, I just was like, you know, I don't think I'm suited for this. Um, so it really was that almost like a risk intolerance for OB. Um, and I, I still love it. And I love being involved in the prenatal care. And I love that part of my job. Um, but I, I have to say, I don't miss the labor floor. I enjoyed doing delivering babies during my training. I, I, I had a blast doing it, but I never thought about going into it. Yeah, it, it's joyous. I mean, there's nothing better. Talk a bit about how family medicine has changed over the time that you've been in medicine. I think the interesting thing about family medicine, it's very regional um, and very different, like in different parts of the country. Um, and then there's urban family medicine and rural family medicine. And there's just there's just a wide variety to the specialty. And then you have people like me who go into it who are interested in this and interested in that and pick this thing up and pick that thing up. And so there's just this like huge diversity of what people in family medicine do throughout the country. Um, and so what I see changing in training a little bit is a relaxation of some of the requirements, specifically like around obstetrics and some of the hospital medicine stuff to reflect that people go into different not every family doctor is going to be delivering babies. And how do we have our training programs reflect the true diversity of practice? And so I do see kind of the requirements of residency and the way residency programs work kind of changing over time. Um, and our program has sort of adjusted some of its requirements, for example, around, I think obstetrics is, is a big example because not every family medicine doctor graduates residency and, and does obstetrics in their career. And so thinking about making sure that we train people adequately who want to do that and that we provide exposure to everyone else. And so I think that's that's changing. There's a little bit more flexibility in the training programs. But I don't know. My, my sense is that the specialty has always had this huge variety of what people do, and that will continue. That's the beauty of it. For someone who's thinking about going into family medicine, what would you recommend in terms of them matching into a good program, the program they want to be in? And also, once they're in, building a career that is successful according to what they want mm -hmm. and that builds satisfaction for them. Um, so when we look at applicants, we are really interested in people who have a commitment to service. I think, you know, particularly with our program being in an um, kind of a traditionally urban, underserved environment. We are looking for applicants who are interested in, in providing service, who are interested in working with that population. And that's the kind, again, and I speak to our, to our experience in our program, but we're looking for people who have had those experiences, people who've worked in free clinics or had other sorts of service-oriented type things. And so I think as a medical student, if you're interested in primary care, getting involved in those primary care experiences during medical school and First of all, trying it on for size, making sure that's something that you like. Um, but those are the kinds of things that we look at when we think about um, kind of fit with our program or people that we think might be successful as people who really kind of want to do that that job. Um, and then once we have residents in our program, um, I, 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 I often 
tell people to kind of, it's hard because you want to think about the future, but not think about the future. And so there are parts of residency where I tell people, stop planning for the future. Just just get through intern year. It's going to be a hard year and it's going to be over and you'll have plenty of time to do all the fun things you want to do with your career. So part of my time I spend just kind of reassuring people that residency is a finite period of time and you want to come out of it a good clinician. And so you should kind of do your rotations and work hard and not worry about the other stuff. Um, and then as people kind of come through residency, it's really about thinking about um, what are the things they really want to get additional training in? What are the things that they're interested in? What um, what type what type of job might they want and how can they best prepare for that sort of job? And so it's really individualized after that. What do you think makes for a satisfying? So if you look at people after residency, mm-hmm. Now they're beginning their careers. What is it that builds satisfaction? What is it that builds longevity in a career in family medicine? So I'm not sure I can speak to this for everyone, but I think for me, it's been um, the diverse, the kind of, I think I mentioned a little bit, but kind of the different types of parts to my job. And so I, I love bread and butter family medicine. I've talked to you a lot about how I enjoy my patients and I enjoy my work that I do with them. Um, but I think it makes it even more exciting when I'm then teaching residents and spending time supervising residents and training them to do that job when I have medical students with me and I can show them what I do. Um, so I think being in a teaching environment for me has helped me feel like I um, can kind of keep it fresh. <laughs> um, and then I've developed kind of some additional jobs in teaching at the medical school. And then I mentioned my kind of addiction program, but kind of developing different areas of interest or different things that I do outside of my regular um, clinical job. And to me, that's really helped me feel like now, I guess, 10 years after residency, that the the job is still as exciting as it was when I started. I think across all specialties, that's a, a pretty common answer that you start to build in, especially for us generalists, we have the work we do where we're seeing whatever comes in the door. Mm-hmm. But then you build in some focus there that means a little more to you as well. Yeah. It's funny. I, I um, A couple of years ago, someone said that to me. What's your area of interest? And I really was offended by it. I don't have an area of interest. I'm a family doctor, for God's sakes. Um, and, then, and then, of course, as it turns out, having an area of interest has really been exciting to me. Um, and And I, you know, I hope that my area of interest continues to be building relationships, continuity of care, doing all those things. And, and, and you know, luckily my involvement in the medical school is on a course about communication skills, right? So I do think it all ultimately fits together. But um, yes, I have unwittingly found an area of interest that I really enjoy. <laughs> but you love being a, a generalist yes, as well. Yes, but I will never give up the general <laughs> family medicine. Talk to me a bit about teaching. Um, so I think anyone in medicine kind of understands there's so much teaching that is part of your job on every level. You're constantly working with your patients in education. We have medical students and residents and kind of every level. So there's just a ton of clinical teaching that we're doing all the time um, that is just such a part of the job, especially at an academic site. But um, specifically, I have a a course that I help to co-direct at the medical school um, that is in patient-doctor communication. So we actually have standardized patients. 
Um, and it's the first course that medical students have where they talk to a quote-unquote patient, but it's an actor, um, and they practice just basic communication skills. We have these sort of um, actors set up with backstories and kind of interesting things to for the students to discover. Um, and it's really a supervised opportunity to just have a conversation, but in a medical context. And so that's a really fun course. I co-direct it with a psychiatrist. Um, and so I love the message of family medicine and psychiatry being the excellent communicators and the ones to teach our medical students. Um, and so that for me is a really great way to combine kind of what I do in my clinical work and, and think about it in a more formal way in the medical school. You are listening to Medical Murmurs, Medical Student Edition. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to review us on iTunes and other forums. You can also visit medicalmurmurs.com and sign up to hear about new episodes. Talk a bit about, about what it's like to be an academic in medicine. So I think it's a really exciting part of my job. I really enjoy getting to work with our really excellent family medicine residents and kind of thinking about the um you know, what what it takes to train a good family doctor. Um, I have a couple of specific things that I work on as like projects in the residency program that are fun and exciting. Um, one is a population health curriculum. So when we think about kind of where I started thinking about public health and, and policy um, and, and how much of primary care has to do with kind of thinking about the health of populations and preventative care, um, we've sort of worked over the last couple of years to develop a population health curriculum. And so I have wonderful colleagues who are experts in this, but basically I help to coordinate a couple sessions um, a year and thinking about training our, our residents in population health um, and also a bit in advocacy, which kind of dovetails really nicely to population health. We think about all the things that we see in our privileged role as family doctors. Um, we have We sometimes can give our patients a voice and to kind of think about how that might work into people's careers or the people's activities. Um, so I, I'm working on that curriculum and kind of thinking about what that might look like for our residents. Um, and then I'm also very involved in our wellness program for our residents. So I kind of like to think of myself as like the fun aunt. So <laughs> sort of, um, you know, what are the things that we could do to make our program better? And I know there's a lot of talk about wellness in medicine now, but my take on it is um, – how can we make the system better? So I'm I'm really want to support our residents and do fun activities and work on personal wellness. But what I like to do in this formal role is really think about, all right, what are the specific parts of this program? What are the specific parts of your day working in our clinic, working in our hospital that really cause stress or challenge to you? And can we change the system? So we really work together um, with the residents. They come to us with ideas. They kind of submit, we call it a safety net. So we have kind of health system-wide safety nets for kind of um, uh, clinical events, but we have wellness safety nets in our program where people can be like, you know, I worked a 24-hour shift and I didn't have enough time off in between. And, you know, when we look at the schedule and we're like, okay, can we change the call schedule? Like, what can we do so this doesn't keep happening? Um, so I work with the residents on that program, and that's been also really exciting and fun. Thank you very much yeah. for taking the time to talk Absolutely. with me. Absolutely. Thank you. This is Medical Murmurs, Medical Student Edition. This podcast was focused on career issues of particular interest to medical students and prospective medical students. We suggest you also listen to the main Medical Murmurs episode featuring the same guests discussing a wider range of issues. 
and sharing stories for a more general audience. Check it out. <laughs>